And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist with deep jawbreaker eyes. Red rope hair, gumdrop lips, cotton candy thighs. You're my candy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another of our podcasts. Podcast 17, to be exact. And welcome to the month of February. It's Bruce Wayne's birthday this month, and so we're going to celebrate it with an exploration into the many incarnations of the man. February is also the anniversary of the Dyatlov Pass incident, and we will discover tonight together the details of that chilling tale. Still later, we'll discover Batmite, that underappreciated character from the Cape Crusaders universe, and listen to a full-length Batman audio drama. Throw in some singing recipes and a bunch more stuff, and you have our show. But wait, before we do any of that, we do have to right a wrong. Yes, it should have been done a long time ago. Tonight, we have another inductee into the SISG Hall of Fame, and it's overdue if you ask me. He was our first interview of our first podcast. And a man who has done so much for audio drama. Drum roll, please. Why, of course, it's the great Vincent Price. Mr. Price, the star of radio, film, and stage. A man who has highlighted much of the bizarre as well as the beautiful. God bless you, sir. And welcome to our Hall of Fame. As part of the after party, we're going to have two of Vincent's own recipes. One for becoming a werewolf, and one for Viennese stuffed eggs. Let's get started. To become a werewolf. Ingredients. Chalk or string. One iron vessel. One iron tripod. Any three of the following. Asafoetida, parsley, opium, Henbane, saffron, aloe, poppy seed, or solanum. One freshly killed cat. Aniseed, camphor, opium, one wolfskin girdle. Preparation. Go to a solitary place at midnight when the moon is new and strong, preferably a desert, the woods, or a mountaintop. On perfectly level ground, mark off with the chalk or string a circle with a radius of at least seven feet, and inside this a circle with a radius of three feet. In the center, boil water in an iron vessel on the iron tripod. As the water boils, throw in handfuls of the three spices, meanwhile intoning. Spirits from the deep who never sleep, be kind to me. Spirits from the grave 
without a soul to save, be kind to me. Spirits of the trees that grow upon the leaves, be kind to me. Spirits of the air, foul and black, not fair, be kind to me. Water spirits hateful to ships and bathers fateful, be kind to me. Spirits of earth-bound dead that glide with noiseless tread, be kind to me. Spirits of heat and fire destructive in your ire, be kind to me. Spirits of cold and ice, patrons of crime and vice, be kind to me. Wolves, vampires, satyrs, ghosts, elect of all the devilish hosts, I pray you send hither, send hither, send hither, the great grey shape that makes men shiver, shiver, shiver. Come, come, come. Removing your upper garments, smear your body with the fat of the freshly killed cat, mixed with aniseed, camphor, and opium. Bind your loins with the wolf skin and kneel down within the middle of the smaller circle to await the unknown. The unknown will appear, or make its presence felt, when the fire burns blue and quickly dies out. The stuffed eggs are simplicity themselves to prepare. First, we hard-boil six eggs. Choose the six eggs. If you have any doubts about their freshness, slip them into a bowl of water. A fresh egg will sink and a stale one will rise. Slip the eggs into boiling water and then lower the temperature and let the eggs simmer just under the boiling point for 30 minutes. Then rinse them in cold water, peel them, and then we can proceed. Now split the eggs lengthwise and remove the yolks. I then mash the yolks with two tablespoons of mayonnaise, one teaspoon of mustard. When this is smooth, I mix in four tablespoons of finely chopped cooked ham, one tablespoon of minced gherkins, and one teaspoon of spice salt. I then mound the filling into the whites and garnish them with paprika and little diamonds of ham. These look beautiful surrounding the mushrooms. The colors as well as the flavors provide an interesting set of contrasts. I like to serve a medium white wine with these. A Chenin Blanc is lovely or a Fumé Blanc. I always chill it for several hours and it fairly sparkles on the tongue with the appetizers.
In the northern Urals, there is a pass on a mountain called Kolatsiakl. I don't know what it was known as before, but the pass is now Dyatlov. On the cold and snowy night of February 2nd, 1959, nine college students died there. This is their bizarre story. The party began as 10, eight boys and two girls, all experienced skiers, hikers, and campers. In the winter of 1959, they all formed a ski trek group. Their leader was one Igor Dyatlov, and it was from his diary and the diaries from the other party members that we know the events leading up to the incident. Dyatlov's team's goal was to reach Otepte, a mountain in the area. They all arrived by train to the town of Ivdel on January the 25th. Then they took a truck to Vise, the last habitation that far north. On January 27th, they finally started for the trek towards Otepte. The next day, however, one of their team, Yun Yudi, became ill and had to turn back. Before Yun left them, Dyatlov told him that the ski party would probably not be back to Vise on February 12th, as he had told others, but might be a little later. So when none of the expedition arrived back on the 12th, nobody worried. But as time went on, the students' relations became nervous and demanded a search be made. So on February 20th, some volunteers went out as a rescue party. More time passed, and the local police and army joined in using planes and helicopters. On February 26th, the damaged tent of the college skiers was found. It was abandoned and had been cut open from the inside. Left behind was the gear and shoes. Footprints were found leaving the tent area, all made by people with one or no shoes on. Some were the prints of bare feet. The prints gave out about 1,600 feet away from the tent, but since they seemed to be heading for a forest less than a mile away, a search was made there. That's where the first bodies were found. At the edge of the woods, a dead campfire and two corpses lay. The corpses were found to be only in their underwear. Above them, in a cedar tree, branches were broken as if someone had tried to climb up. Later in the day, three more bodies were found, between the forest and the original camp. Each corpse was alone and some distance from each other. All seemed to be heading back to the tent. One of them was Dyatlov. It took more than two months to find the other four group members. They were found at the bottom of a small ravine further into the woods. Three had internal injuries. One girl was missing her eyes, tongue, and part of her face. All four of these new victims were dressed more completely than the corpses found earlier. An investigation was made of the incident. From the diaries, it was learned that on February 1st, the hikers began to move through the pass, but because of low visibility due to snowstorms, they lost their way. They started moving west up the mountain. When they discovered their mistake, the party decided to set up camp right there on the slope. It was also learned that six of the group had died from hypothermia and three from injuries. Of these three, none showed external injuries, but one victim had major skull damage 
and the other two had chest fractures. The force that did this was said to be equal to a car crash, but appeared to be from a great pressure on their bodies. Three pieces of the victim's clothing turned out to be highly radioactive. The girl's face wounds were declared to be caused by decomposition, since she was found face down in a tiny stream. The verdict of the inquest was that the students had died because of a compelling natural force. But there was controversy right from the beginning. After it had concluded, the documents of the inquiry were sent to a secret archive, and then citizens were barred from the pass area for three years. Still weirder, another group of hikers who were 40 miles south of the death scene reported seeing orange spheres in the night sky on February 2nd. Later, there were other reports of these spheres in adjacent areas in February and March, included those reported by the Meteorology Service and the military. In 1990, photocopies of the Dyatlov files were made available, but several documents were missing. That same year, former police officer Lev Ebenov, the man who led the official investigation in 1959, published an article. In it, he admitted that the investigation team could find no final explanation of the incident. He also said that some of his team had reported seeing flying spheres in the sky, and that soon afterwards, he received direct orders from his superiors to dismiss the investigation. In 1970, Riviana Foods, the makers of Minute Rice, put out a 7-inch flexi-disc through Columbia Records. It contained a bunch of singing recipes which they called Ricepees, since each recipe contained rice and rice was Riviana's business. All of them were sung as country songs, trying to sound like familiar artists of the time. Now we have three of them for you. They're a little scratchy, but still great. So have a listen. I drive a truck from Baton Rouge to Houston And I get mighty hungry all the way But I don't slow down for truck stops And I look out for the law And I don't even stop for the scales Cause there's a little woman waits for me in Houston She cooks a recipe I really like she uses canned tomatoes, ground beef and onions too And she mixes it all up with a cup of rice She takes the ground beef and onions and some nice green pepper And she puts them in a pan And cooks them till they're really looking great And then she mixes them together with a little chili pepper Tomatoes and some salt Then she puts it in the oven and lets it bake by the time she hears fire breaks in the front yard She's got that Houston hash all nice and brown Cause she knows I've got a craving All my hunger I've been saving And I'd almost risk a crash for Houston hash Yes, I'd almost risk a crash for Houston hash
Back in 1965, Alexander Key took us on a harrowing adventure to a strange and forbidding planet, a 
planet called Earth. From Scholastic Books, The Forgotten Door. It happened so quickly, so unexpectedly, that little John's cry was almost instantly cut short as the blackness closed over him. No one knew the hole was there. It hadn't been there the day before, and in the twilight, no one had noticed it. At the moment it happened, the first shooting stars were crossing the sky. They were beginning to stream across the sky like strings of jewels flung from another planet, and everyone was watching them. The smaller children were exclaiming in delight, while the older ones stood silent and enthralled. Here on the hill, where the valley people often came to watch the glittering night unfold, you could see the whole magic sweep around you, and you felt close to everything in the heavens. Other people you knew were standing on other hills on other worlds, watching even as you watched. Little John, whose eyes were quicker than most, should have seen the whole, but all his attention were on the stars. Small for his age, he had moved away from the rest for a better view, and as he stepped backward, there was suddenly nothing under his feet. It was astonishing at that moment to find himself falling swiftly into the hill at that spot, where he had walked safely all his life. But in the brief seconds before the blackness swallowed him, he realized what must have happened. There had been a cave-in over the old door, the door that led to another place, the one that had been closed so long. He cried out and tried to break his fall in the way he had been taught, but the effort came an instant too late. His head struck something, and darkness swirled over him. Long later, when little John was able to sit up, he had no idea where he was or what had happened. Memory had fled, and he ached all over. He would have been shivering with cold, but his thick jacket and trousers and heavy woven boots kept him warm. He seemed to be in a narrow cleft of broken rock. There was mossy stones around him, and just ahead, he could make out a bed of ferns where water trickled from a spring. He was still too dazed to be frightened, but now he realized he was thirsty, terribly so. He crawled painfully forward and lay with his face in the water while he drank. The coldness of the water startled him at first, but it was wonderfully sweet and satisfying. He bathed his face and his hands in it, and set up at last and looked around again. Where was he? How did he get here? He pondered these questions, but no answers came. He felt as if he had fallen. Only where could he have fallen from? The rocky walls met overhead, sloping outward into a tangle of leafy branches. There was another question his mind carefully tiptoed around, because it was more upsetting than the others. Whenever he approached it, it caused a dull aching in his forehead, 
Finally, however, he gave his head a small shake and faced it squarely. Who am I? He didn't know. He simply didn't know. And it made everything terribly wrong. All at once, trembling, he got to his feet and fled limping toward a shaft of moonlight ahead. Thick shrubs barred his way. He fought blindly through them, tripped and fell sprawling. Fortunately, he missed the boulders on either side and landed in a soft bed of old leaves under a tree. He scrambled up in panic and started to run again, then stopped himself just in time. This wasn't the sort of country where you could run. There were steep ledges here, and below them the ground sloped sharply downward for a great distance. All of it was covered with a wild tangle of forest. Little John rubbed his eyes and looked around him with growing wonder and fright. Nothing here was familiar. He was sure of that. He had never seen trees quite like the ones around him. Many of the smaller trees were in bloom, covered with showers of white blossoms. These were almost familiar, as were the ferns and the lichens on the rock. But there was a difference. But what the difference was, he was unable to tell. Carefully, he worked down to an open area below the ledge and stood listening. The sounds were familiar, and hearing them made him feel better. Cricket song, the gurgling of hidden springs, the faint clutter and fuss of a rushing stream somewhere, and there were the hesitant steps of wild creatures that came pleasantly to his sharp ears. Without quite realizing his ability, which was as natural as breathing, his mind reached out toward them and found nothing strange in them, except that they were afraid, afraid of him. Don't be afraid, he told them, so softly that his lips barely moved. I'd never hurt you. After a minute or two, the creatures, they were a doe and her fawn, moved hesitantly down the slope and stood looking at him curiously. Little John held out his hand, and presently the doe came close and nuzzled his cheek with her cold nose. Where am I? he asked plaintively. Can you tell me? The doe couldn't answer, and all he could gather was that she was hungry and that the food could be found in the valley below. Lead the way, he told her, I'll follow. The doe and the fawn started down through the tangle. Little John went scrambling and limping behind them. Walking was difficult, for both his knees were badly bruised and one ankle pained him at every step. Soon, however, they reached a winding game trail and the going was much easier. Even so, it was hard to keep up with the doe and several times in the next hour, he had to beg her to stop and wait for him. It did not seem at all strange to be following her. Her presence was very comforting and kept the unanswered questions from troubling him. As they wound down near the bottom of the slope, the trees thinned, and they passed through an open gate. Ahead he could see the bright moonlight on a small green field. Around a corner of the field ran a clattering stream, a stream different from the one he had heard earlier. 
At the sight of the field, little John caught his breath. Fields and cultivated things were familiar. There would be people near. Soon he would meet them and find out about himself. The doe paused at the edge of the field, sniffing the air currents. Little John could feel his uneasiness, though he could not understand it. He sniffed too, but all he could smell were the pleasant scents of fresh earth and blossoms and the richness of the forest behind them. He was disappointed that he couldn't make out the scent of humans near but maybe this was because the air was flowing down from the mountain away from him. As the doe stepped daintily into the field and began to nibble the young plants, little John unconsciously did what he should have done earlier. His mind reached out, searching hopefully. He had no thought of danger. The sudden discovery that there was danger was so shocking spring forward with a strangled cry as he tried to tell the doe to run. The doe whirled instantly and leaped just as the sharp report of a rifle shattered the peace of the evening. Little John had never heard a rifle shot before, but he was aware of the hot slash of pain across the doe's flank, and he could see the weapon in the hands of the man who was rising from his hiding place at the edge of the stream. He was a lean man in overalls with one shoulder higher than the other. The harsh features under his cap showed surprise and disbelief as he stared at little John. Then the thin mouth twisted in fury.
It's Bruce Wayne's birthday this month, that millionaire orphan with a secret. At least one of his birthdays, anyway. In the 1930s, he was supposed to be born on April 7th, but later in Detective Comics number 494, his birthday was supposed to be February 19th. But other people think his birth should be celebrated on March 30th, and that was the date that Detective Comics number 27 hit the stands, and that's where Bruce Wayne and Batman were introduced to the world. But this can be problematic, because even though the magazine was first sold on March 30th, the cover reads May. Well, and also, Frank, the one before it had a picture of Batman inside of it, saying, wait for next week, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the introduction. Well, we at SISG are more impatient uh, for the later dates, so we're going to celebrate it right here in February. That's right. A person might ask, why celebrate Bruce Wayne's birthday anyway? Shouldn't it be Batman's party? Well, everyone forgets an important thing about Bruce Wayne. He's the real person. Batman is the persona he created and creates for himself. He does it to instill fear in his enemies and to perpetuate the myth that he's more powerful than other men. But he's not. He's a, he's a normal man, a man named Bruce. Granted, the Bruce Wayne he shows the world is not the real one, but the Batman isn't really him either. Anyway, happy birthday, Mr. Wayne. Happy birthday. In your honor... We're going to explore the way you've changed in comics over the years and how you've been portrayed in films and television, too. And so let's start at the beginning. In the first panel of Detective Number 27, we meet Bruce Wayne and Commissioner Gordon. The commissioner suddenly gets a call about a murder and asks if Bruce wants to tag along. He comes, but only because there's nothing better to do in it. And as he tags along throughout the whole comic book, He's shown to be uninterested and sort of forgotten in the background. It's only in the very last panel that we find out that he's actually Batman. And that's Bruce Wayne for you in all the early comics. You don't see much of his real uh, personality. You just see the persona of him just being not very interested and kind of a boring man. But later on, as the comics go along, his persona becomes more like a mild-mannered millionaire with at least enough passion to have a girlfriend. And uh, when no one's looking, he's like a very, very earnest and still boring (laughs) fanatic. And then when he's Batman, it's a whole different character. He's this uh, crazy, uh, fanatical... And this is the 30s? Yeah, this is the 30s. 30, 30, uh, 39. Was it it earnest like like Clark Kent is earnest? Or is it different, sort of? Yes, earnest like Clark Kent. But of course, he's got a chip on his shoulder because uh, he's obsessed with justice. And in the early days, he's got guns, and he, he, yeah, I've seen he intimidates that. people, shoots people. Then later on, pretty quick, within five or six issues, they, they take the guns away from him. Uh, but he's still a vigilante. When Bruce Wayne first hits the big screen, though, there's a big change. In 1943, Columbia Pictures put out a 15-part serial. And it, uh, it not only increased the popularity, but also added a few ideas to the comic. For instance... In the serial, it first came up with the idea of a bat cave. They didn't have it in the early comics. And the idea of Alfred, he was sort of a portly guy in the older comics, and then he became the tall, thin guy with a little mustache. The, the catch line to the serial was, wherever crime raises its ugly head to strike with the venom of a maddened rattlesnake, Batman and Robin strikes also. So when was, so Robin was already in there at, the, at that time? It was. Robin came in, in 1940. Uh, and this serial, first serial, it was in 43. And um, 
Lewis Wilson portrayed Bruce Wayne and Batman. And he looked slick as uh, Bruce Wayne, but he kind of looked kind of punchy when he was Batman. Very nice. Maybe he had uh, some armor or something on that belly. Uh, no, there was no armor. <laughs> it, the way he plays Bruce Wayne is kind of cocky and amused. He delights in his deception of everyone, and he pretends to be extremely lazy and devoid of energy. He's always coming in and just laying back and relaxing, trying to calm his nerves. And a, a typical thing is they ask him, well, how'd your day go? He goes, ah, oh, typical. I rose at the crack of noon, took a brisk walk to the corner, and then uh, went to the club and had a rugged game of gin rummy. <laughs> and then, and people, I don't know how his girlfriend even puts up with them. Uh, he also enjoys bashing the crooks around and getting one over the cops all the time. There's just a little twinkle in this guy's eye, which makes him fun, I think. And um, and this is, you know, whether he's Batman or Bruce Wayne. His main duty, though, of course, is World War II, is he works for the fun, uh, federal government against Japanese spies. Oh. <laughs> so now in 1949, there was another serial, and it was called Batman and Robin this time. Uh, and this time, Bruce Wayne was played by Robert Lowry. And he's still pulling off um, Bruce as the, as the lazy playboy, still needs to rest and stuff. But unfortunately, when, you don't, when no one's looking, the Bruce in this one is like very serious and very dedicated. Like all the joy's gone out of him. It's just business. In this serial, Batman and Robin face the hooded villain called the Wizard. And he has an electronic device that controls cars. <laughs> Now, this kind of science fiction device became the norm in the 50s and started after World War II. Because after World War II, there was a downturn in the comics business in general. And, uh, and I'm not sure why. But, so they started grasping for straws. And when science fiction became popular, they sort of stuck with that. Plus, they had a problem with the comic book code. Um, in the early 50s, the Congress... Um, had a committee, and they were all on the warpath against comics, especially the horror comics. But they, they had this one psychologist that uh, specifically pointed out Batman for his violence and the weird, what they claim, homosexual relationship between Batman There's and Robin. And doing research, they bring that up. People write books about it, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and, and so the other thing they did when the 50s came is they had a lot of romance. They brought in Batwoman. They had to, they, so we had... Batman had a girlfriend as Batman and as as Bruce. They spruced up the um, romance. And one comic that really uh, became successful was uh, when Superman teams up with Batman. And th there's a lot of science fiction elements in this. And also, they kind of dumbed it down and made it for kids. And so the Bruce Wayne in this one... It's just sort of like a romance thing. It must be a romance novel. He's always like, oh, it's either finding out weird science fiction stuff. Or, I mean, he's still dealing with the Joker and different characters, but it's not the same. And uh, I think, well, at, at first people loved it. But eventually, um, I think this led to the downfall of Batman and Robin. Because by 1964, all the Batman titles sold very poorly. And they were in danger of being canceled. So to try to save the comic, they had editor, editor Julius Swartz. He made drastic changes. Uh, and it started in 64 with Detective Comics number 327. All the art 
artwork was redesigned to be more contemporary and plus like slicker and better um, drawn actually and all the stories um, uh, with time travel and space aliens that was nixed and the return to the detective oriented stories almost like a noir thing it was kind of back to that yeah. and and that's where he gets the yellow uh, oval over the bat symbol on his chest but even before all this, in Hollywood, plans were made uh, by CBS to have a Saturday morning live-action Batman show. Uh, but those talks stalled, and then ABC stepped in, and they got the rights from DC. And their plan was to have a primetime show that was more hip and fun, more like The Man from U.N.C.L.E. And they turned it over to 20th Century Fox to be made, and they turned it over to William Dozer uh, from Greenway Productions. Now, Dozer, he wasn't a comic book fan. So on his way to the meeting at the airport, he bought um, some comics. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you like the show, the, the one he really paid attention to um, was the giant Batman annual of 1965, which reprinted all the 50s ones. It had all the... And they were kind of goofy. <laughs> so after reading that, he decided the only way they could do a Batman show was to have a pop art campy comedy. And the rest is history, because that's what they did. He sold them on it. And, uh, you know, and that, of course, was um, Adam West who portrayed that. And Bruce in the 60s, on the TV series, he wasn't considered lazy or self-indulgent anymore. If you watch the shows, he's an upstanding citizen who's always co contributing to charities. Everybody likes him, takes care of his Aunt Harriet. Once in a while, he'll pull off like, oh, he's, you know, he's not a hero or something. He's kind of a playboy, sort of a hip Hefner type, you know. And, and uh, so he's pretty cool. The, the thing is, when he's himself as Batman or when no one's looking, he's like a very naive, fuddy-duddy, Dudley Do-Right type character. <laughs> so all the fun is in his persona. Uh, it, it, and it went along pretty good. But in 1968, the show was canceled. But... It was weird. It was canceled, but the Batman Superman show that same year um, came in September at CBS, and so that it continued that way. And it was a little less like the like the um, campy Batman. It was more serious. And in that cartoon, uh, Bruce Wayne was very serious again. It was a very shallow character. Of course, he wasn't a playboy in the cartoon. And he was just a very serious, you know, working for justice type guy. The comic magazines at the same time when the series was going on, they got a little campy too. And they had a very colorful palette, just like the show. And the comics sold well when the series was going. But when it was canceled, the sales started to drop. So there again, Batman was taken um, in another direction again to try to save it to a more serious direction. And this started in Detective Comics number 395. And it was with artist Neil Adams and writer Dennis O'Neill. And they went back to the early Batman comics for inspiration. And the colors now went to murky blacks and blues and purples. And Bruce Wayne became dark and brooding. And Batman became a street vigilante. And this is kind of the way that Batman has carried on ever since after that. And that began the 70s. And, and in 1973, in Batman 251, the Joker was uh, reintroduced after a four-year hiatus. And 
from that time on, he became the homicidal maniac that we've all come to love. And so, James, what happened in the 70s now as we so, go into that decade? So like you said, starting in 1969, uh, writer Dennis O'Neill and, and artist Neil Adams made a deliberate effort to distance uh, Batman from the campy portrayal of the 1960s. Um, and they really brought him back to his roots uh, as a, a like the grim avenger of the night. They, they that's what they like. Neil Adams was uh, constantly said. He, he goes, "Hey, I wanted I wanted to be that." Um, and uh, then that became their work became tremendously influential. Uh, they took uh, back Batman back to a grimmer, darker Batman, and. It was really acclaimed with with fans, but again, it really didn't bring uh, the popularity of, of Batman back. So in the seventies, it up. kept on waning, it kept on oh. waning, and kept on waning, and really, it didn't get back to business until the Dark Knight. Oh, until um, the mid eighties. Yeah, until the mid eighties, really. But it's kind of funny because based on Neil Adams, and then eventually um, in nineteen seventy eight, Steve uh, Englehart and uh, penciler Marshall Rogers uh, did the detective comics for number 471 through 476 uh, and they th those were the continued on with what Neil Adams and uh, and O'Neill did and they made him real dark and, and, and brooding and Bruce Wayne was more like the brooding type that we see in, in you know uh, that's the ones that I used to read as a kid yeah and and but those ones after that in 1977 and 78 they went on to influence the 1989 movie Batman and then the uh, Batman the Animated Series, which debuted in oh, 1992. Yeah. So that's where they took that from. But it, it's interesting because they actually had plans of making a Batman movie way back in 1978. And they uh, uh, they wrote a script. They you know they had a they had a development uh, a development deal and um, it took. It, 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 it started with one studio and then eventually went to Warner Brothers. And it, it took a course of, because that movie's in 89. So it went from 78 to 89 before they actually had a movie. And it went through That's crazy. It went through 10 or 11 rewrites. And then they scrapped that and wrote a whole new one. And then finally... Oh, yeah. They, who, who, they, what directors they, were attached to it? They came on board. They didn't, they didn't have a director so much, but they were pitching William Holden as Alfred. And, and, uh, <laughs> and he died in 81. And they were pitching uh -huh. Peter O'Toole as the Penguin. They were pitching, uh, um, they just had like, the guy had like more of the, you know, those were the two big names and they had yeah. like a no name for Batman or whatever. But uh, And while um, they were in the middle of it in 86, that's when Frank Miller put The Dark Knight Returns. And that added a, a whole new influence uh, for Batman, of course, and for Bruce Wayne, who in that one, he's old and bitter. He's he, 55. He hates the world. Hey, he's just like me. Yeah. <laughs> and he hates authority and he sees no hope. And... Between that and then later on with year one, that influenced everything, including the movie when it finally got made. Yeah, the, the series, uh, that series, the Frank Miller series, sparked the major resurgence in the character's popularity. So that's when it started. That's, that's when they started selling. So more it waned, comics. and everybody like the closet guys, you know, the people that really love comics, loved it, this this stuff that we started started talking about since 1969. But not the general public. But not this. the general public, and then when. When the Dark Knight Returns came well, out, it became started more, reading it at that point. It became more of a thing, and it might be might have been because of, uh, you know, Frank Miller was already an established 
uh, yeah, well, person yeah, with, uh, well, with, he's good. with the Watchmen <laughs> or whatever, which came out earlier. Yeah. And um, so all of that, you know, rolled into one plus a, you know, awesome story got, got the ball rolling on, which we know today, which is Batman, like, is the most popular comic book hero. Is it? Yeah, uh, I mean, I... I don't know about the... It may in DC, I think. I don't know about Marvel. Well, it it, it it wins polls. Really? Like, I was Overall. just watching stuff that wins polls. That, That's uh, interesting. Well, you know, definitely the movie going public, maybe. But, you know, what's weird is all through the 70s is with the Super Friends and stuff, which is... Yeah, right. Nothing to do... Now, the thing is, there's all... The League of Justice or there's whatever. There's all kinds of, of comics. There was, in Detective Comics and Batman, the, the story continued, like you said, but... Um, they were still having, I don't know when it ended, but they were still having Superman, you know, and Batman comics. And those were different. And they even had Super Friend comics that came out. Um, and so, of course, those were for kids. So they were different. So it's weird. They were all different titles going on of Batman. They weren't always the dark and brooding ones, you know, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, they in the, in the Justice League, they were just, they'd be just, you know hanging around like hey what's going with frisbee and then all of a sudden they would be called or whatever you know it was a kid's thing so it wasn't it wasn't you know bruce wayne was real shallow in that but then in 1989 then of course the first real movie comes out and of course the first real batman it seems crazy to think that of course they had the adam west batman that was tv right but that was a a serial the other one so this is the first motion picture regular film yeah, the other one was a serial, and so all those years, and the first Batman movie comes out in 1989. It's crazy. And uh, and what do you think about and, that? And of all uh, Bruce people, Wayne. Michael Keaton. <laughs> yes. Which when I heard it, I thought that's crazy, but I saw the movie and I liked it. So Tim Burton, you know, had worked with him previously, of course, with uh, Beetlejuice, and um, so they got the idea of Michael Keaton, and it, it's funny because if you read like the fan sites or do those kind of things. It's either, it's either they, it's a hit or miss. They either love them or hate them. And, uh, and as it goes, cause look, they, as we get into the future ones, people just hate those things. So they, I, everybody ranks Michael Keaton at least third in the Batman movie thing, because there's not much, you know, to yeah. do as we're going to talk about. But, but, uh, you know, it's of the good ones. They either say, okay, you're the worst good one or the, or the best good one. Um, and uh, you know he he played you know the part where it was it was dark and and uh, you know he definitely had secrets you know he played it more like uh, you know especially the Vicky Bale type character was was getting into uh, uh, you know immediately thought something was up you know there's not everything to the to, you know there's more to this Bruce Wayne than. That meets the eye, whereas like before, it'd be like, ah, oh, Bruce Wayne, that guy's just lounging around doing nothing or whatever, you know. Well, it was weird because more more than like brooding or damaged, he just seems to be that he completely would shut wall down walls in front of him and have nobody get close. That was his. That was the main thing in, in his Bruce Wayne portrayal. Yeah, right. Because uh, Vicky Bale, Kim Basinger was trying to. <laughs> Open them up, <laughs> and Catwoman in the next one. Yeah, and so the next one brings brings us to the next one. The next one is um, oh, Batman Returns, right? And that that's uh, also done by Tim Burton and starring Michael Keaton. And uh, Tim Burton did not want to do a second one. He didn't want to be the director, and he because he thought that 
that he he wasn't totally satisfied with the first one, and he said, uh, I, you know, I don't I don't know if uh, if I do this one because but finally they they produced a script that he 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 liked enough well enough to do it, and they they had like uh, Robin in it and a bunch of other stuff, and they wrote it out as a second rewrites and you know all that kind of thing. So um, it ended up being what it was, you know, with with the penguin. And, um, and Catwoman. I like that and one. And Catwoman. A lot. Yeah, and it's more Tim Burton in a way. They have like the more, the visuals that like the pinwheels and weird stuff yeah. that he is like from Pee Wee, <laughs> you know. And so, um, and that too is is a, uh, you know, kind of doubles down on the, on the, uh, you know, he, he on the Bruce Wayne. Because Batman's really <laughs> the person that's dating Catwoman. It's oh, not, yeah, that's it's right. It's not Bruce Wayne. So Bruce Wayne gets... Kind of shoved into the. Okay. Yeah. So at at, at about this time though, it, it, especially with the Dark Knight and the like, the Killing Joke, and and those other things that, uh, um, the other comics, they started to people started to think that Batman was the real person and Bruce Wayne, was was the just the phony the, baloney. The, the phony baloney. So at that point, uh, it it got a shift into. Um, what would later be the later movies, which I think they're more like that. The Christian Bale movies are more like he's getting to a point where, you know, he's he's Batman, and then then backing out of it as the last one comes, where he's going to Catwoman. But um, in between those, <laughs> there of course is is Batman Forever <laughs> and, and Batman and Robin, <laughs> and, and they. They uh, were portrayed by Val Kimmer and George Clooney, respectively, <laughs> and they were both Joel Schumacher, and they, of course, went back to the campy, a hundred percent. And I guess in those, when you think about it, I'm trying to think of the Bruce Wayne part, and it's not really there. You just see him as Batman, and Bruce Wayne is just there as the phony character, basically. I. I I haven't seen him in so long. I might be wrong, but I really think about Bruce Wayne when I think about the first two movies, but not the second two. You think about it, it's so funny because uh, you know, especially after after that movie, George Clooney uh, has done so many things and is so good at playing charming, and he's almost like this generation's Cary Grant in a way, you know. And and it's funny because he has no charisma in that movie as Bruce Wayne. Terrible. I mean, terrible. Well, it's weird about the same time. Well, I, I don't even know the time frame of those movies, but you know the Batman, uh, the TV series, the animated so series. So it's exactly out. that because ninety two was Batman. Oh no, so ninety two was Batman Returns, and so that was. But ninety five was Batman Forever, and ninety seven was Batman and Robin, and the 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 Batman the animated series came out in ninety two. And in that one, Bruce Wayne is very complicated. I mean, he's still tortured, but he's a, a good natured guy with humor. He's respected it, and he has got friends, and he's more approachable. And it's it just a more interesting guy than they had in the TV, in the main, excuse me, in the movies. And they have real, you know, real villains that are that are interesting, way yeah. more interesting. Like even even the one-offs or whatever, like the Penguin, not the Penguin's not a one-off, but like even Harlequin, which would be, you know, whatever. It's amazing in that cartoon yeah. series. And, and the Joker, of course, and played by, you know, Mark Hamill. And... Uh, but but so 
we got a shout out because the the voice of that was is Kevin Conroy. And okay. He's a lot of a lot of it's funny because a lot of the the fan polls he'll be considered the best Batman ever. Now it was, was just he, the voice? Was he also the one that was in the uh, the first season of uh, Superman the animated series when they had the crossover things? Was he the voice or I don't know. Uh, you know what? I I don't know. I think, that was in ninety six ninety seven. But I think so. Yes. Well, that that one is funny because he's kind of different than the animated series of Batman. When he comes to town with Superman, he's kind of a slick bachelor, who's who's very smooth talking, very confident, and he sets his sight on Lois Lane, and he's kind of a little harsh. And they show Clark and Superman being kind of bumbly and intimidated. And he's like going to Clark, like you had your chance, and like what? And then you know, and then you see Superman who doesn't really respect him. At one point, he goes, uh, "Well, you know, I worry about Lois because your reputation is a little dubious in and out of the costume." <laughs> so, but it was very cool the the way they did that. Very cool, and then like we said, that Kevin Conroy is the, is the guy that did the voice, and they won multiple Emmys on at least the the animated series. And it, it, it they actually had a theatrical movie, so Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Oh yeah, that's right. And um and that was a good movie. It was it was set up like a noir and there was a femme fatale and, and uh, the whole story was great. They had of course the Joker and, and Harley Quinn and, and uh so or Harley Quinn and and uh so it was really great. And and it and in a way they are right. That is one of the, if not it's one of my favorites. <laughs> Is that that series of everything that they've done, including the comics, is I think you, that that stuff is great. Then we come to Christian Bale, which is the last of the of the one so far. Not the last because well, no, no, no. There's there's <laughs> a one that you're not thinking of, but <laughs> oh, well, the very last one or who? <laughs> no, well, uh, it'll be a surprise. Probably. All right. Well, what about Christian Bale? In 2005, Batman Begins was released, and it was. Uh, um, Total reboot, total, total yeah. uh, new, uh, new. Didn't have anything to do with the other movies, and uh, it was directed by Christopher Nolan, who uh, you know who did, um, uh, oh, in, Inception. But what's the Memento? And, oh yeah. And, uh, so I mean, uh, you know, sort of psychological thrillers that uh, you know that had a lot of lot lot to do with psychology, and, and uh, so he he has his brooding Bruce Wayne, but then also there's a lot of backstory in the first Batman yeah, Begins. There's like the whole half of the movie's backstory. Part so. of it seems like the shadow, actually. Yeah, more yeah, than right. So so they lay it down thick, and so they have. And a, it, it's really about Bruce Wayne, basically. Yeah. yeah and so that, and that one anyway, Batman is definitely the character he creates, and it's all about Bruce Wayne. And and uh, I really like him. I love I love that movie and uh, I like his portrayal of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorites. I like the movies. Uh, when I I mean look at I was in junior high when the when Batman came out and I just it blew me away. So I mean the Michael Keaton one. So I don't want to take it away from no I still from, enjoy from that. But too. but this is like on a whole another different level uh, of seriousness. Yeah, actually. and I and I prefer that that seriousness and uh, so. Yeah, like we said before, the whole first half of the movie is him uh, getting in the prison overseas and you know yeah. learning how to fight and you know doing all this crazy stuff and and uh, then slowly getting back and then you know Batman comes you know a third of the way into the film or something you know and he gets his you know finds the cave and I think it's halfway into the film yeah almost yeah right so and then takes his company back Bruce Wayne takes the company back so all these things are happening to Bruce Wayne and then. 
it's not an afterthought that Batman is there, but you know, definitely, it's uh, uh, is this is the Scarecrow the first? Yeah, yeah. So they have the Scarecrow, which is sort of like a minor character. Like they didn't want to waste half of a you know half of the exposition of a movie and then and then just have you know like the joker or something on the first movie because they're like now we're gonna yeah. have to have the full and movie. that second one went up a whole nother notch with, yeah, the, it did. with the that be- joker. you know what the beginning of that movie is like one of my favorite beginnings second one yeah where they where they're shooting each other like he's like hey the boss told me whatever and, you know they're doing the bank heist and he told everybody to shoot the guy yeah. and, and he ends up shooting the last guy and he walks off and it's the joker <laughs> That's a great. That's and a great gag. I love the ending with him just giving the cops a merry chase and laughing as he's driving crazily through town as he just caused all this havoc and chaos, and there was really no point to it, you know. And really, that's where he becomes right. The the where Batman is now the major character, right? If you're if you're doing a story arc, right? The yeah. beginning, he's 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 Bruce Wayne and he's becoming Batman to take back the city. Then. In that, the Joker like raises everything to the liver, and and, and it really it's raising raises the the uh, you know the bar, and and uh, you know when he's hanging off the boat or whatever it is, he's like you know it's that's the the killing joke really the you know the the idea of it anyways yeah. that they're both crazy yeah and um and so he is really that, and it, and it takes like the Joker the you know the great the, the great villain. villain to to bring that out to bring his true self out of him. And then, and then they take it back in the last movie, which is, which <laughs> is, which is what, which is, uh, um, the Dark Knight, uh, rises, and, and that was in 2012. So what is the surprise one now? Okay, so the <laughs> the one we'd never think about, which is if it's always on mention his mind is the Lego Movie, Will Arnett. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty awesome. <laughs> So Batman's a, an integral part of that whole movie. <laughs> it's Lego Batman, but it is Batman throughout the whole thing. <laughs> he plays the the big headed love, love interest of of Wild Side or Wild Style yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and uh, and it's Will Arnett, you know, the the comedian, and and uh, and and he's just being Batman the whole way, like a parody of Batman the whole way. Like you can't take it seriously, but it's. It's beautiful. Played to perfection. <laughs> so, you know, in a lot of fan sites, that's their favorite Batman, too. Cause... Now now we got uh, Ben Affleck coming up. Yeah, he's so going to be we'll... in the Batman versus Superman. Which is right out of uh, The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> I mean, they give him different reasons for hating him, but still, it's, it's pretty much th- that one sequence out of those comics. But anyway, I'm excited. I, I'm not saying that I'm... <laughs> Counting on it being fantastic, but I'm, I'll be happily accepted if it is. So I think Kevin Smith, you know, the the director said when when I, the crappy Batman's were coming out, he said, "I'll write a script and give you Ben Affleck, and I'll make you the best movie I've ever, <laughs> best Batman movie you've ever seen." Well, we'll Ben see. Affleck is buddy, so like at, at least at the time. So he said, "We'll, we'll see, we'll see, Kevin Smith, we'll see." <laughs> Well, that was our walk down memory lane with Bruce. As you can see, he's ever-changing and he's always interesting, always damaged. And, you know, we're fans, but I there's got there's probably some stuff wrong in here and a lot of stuff we left out. We're sorry, but this gives a general overview of the changing nature of Bruce Wayne. This is all my fandom. 
<laughs> I, 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 I love it, but I don't. I'm a lazy fan. <laughs> so uh, to end this walk, we have a little offering from the 60s TV Robin, Burt Ward, and Frank Zappa. And they're both teaming up to bring you this wonderful song right now. opportunity to catch up on my fan mail. Even as a boy wonder, it's really hard to read all the tons of mail I get. Here is a happy letter from someone just about your age. Dear, cute, wonderful, fabulous, magnificent, exquisite boy wonder, a cold chill runs up my spine every time I see you sock a villain. And oh, how I cry when you're even scratch. Please don't send me a mimeograph copy of interesting facts about you. I want your handwriting. I have a whole wall of my room dedicated to you. Oh boy wonder, I'm making a gum wrapper chain to symbolize my love for you. It's going to be as long as I am tall. Five foot ten inches in stocking feet. Please, boy wonder, please come next Saturday and sleep for a week or two. I will feed you breakfast in bed. I will make your bed for you. And I like you so much that I want you to spend the whole summer with me. I hope you know this is a girl writing. You've got to see the Munsters at Marineland. Yes, that riotous family of goofy ghouls invites you to join them on an unforgettable visit to the famous Marineland of the Pacific. You can help the Munsters pick out a pet for Eddie. Of course, Herman, Grandpa, and Lily insist on something lovable, like a shark, a barracuda, or an octopus. See all the wonders at this fabulous oceanarium, and watch the Munsters have a whale of a good time at Marineland Carnival. The new Christy Minstrels will be there, too, Easter Sunday, April 18th, on most of these CBS television network stations. Seizures are becoming more pronounced by the day The underlying cause Seems to be a slow and progressive decay If I don't find a cure 
I fear that my patient must surely fade away. But I swear I'll apply my science to the cause. Brooking no defiance, I'll deliver her from this malady. She'll dance again. And I'll never forget when we first were courting and she faced me. And her eyes were gleaming in the moonlight And she spoke so sweetly Tuesday the 17th of May A worrying symptom has reared its head this week She's been bedbound for a month And now the patient is no longer able to speak She tries to utter sounds But the grip of the illness is strong And the patient is weak on the bed In a cold sweat like a corpse but she'll live yet When I find the cure I can surely promise She'll laugh again As she did On our wedding day When we danced And laughed the world away Even now I can hear her say Sunday the 23rd of June The patient no longer responds to stimuli of any kind She's now my only charge I clothe her and feed her And nightly I read by her side For though she's paralysed I know that inside there must still be a functioning mind Neatly laid on the bedsheet I can still hear her fading heartbeat I'll keep her stable and continue my research She'll smile again And I must bring her back to me In her eyes I can see the gleam In my mind I can hear her My latest apparatus is the only thing that's keeping her alive I had to stop her heart 
The mechanical replacement will ensure the other organs can survive. Her body is destroyed. But what nature has neglected, the fruit of modern science shall provide. And I've broken every code of practice, but for my love, I'd shift the planet's axis. She'll return to me when she's been repaired. She'll live again. And I swear, I can see the gleam in her eyes amidst the new machines. And at night, authentic Batman toys and games, new and exciting, wow! Batman and Robin color portrait, one dollar. Batman periscope, 77 cents. Batman doll, only 9.98. Batman horn, 77 cents. Batman card game, exciting fun for a dollar 19. Batman game by Milton Bradley, only 2.66. Batman and Robin button, 33 cents. Authentic cape and mask, 99 cents a set. Batman belt, only a dollar, and a wrist radio for only $3.99. Now at seven Big Penny stores, North Park, Big Town, Richardson, Casabue, and Lancaster Keast in Dallas, Seminary South in Richland Hills and Fort Worth. Be the first to have one of these new toys or games and receive free trading cards and Batman rings. Hurry to Penny! When I was growing up, my sister Gail had this trunk. It was blue, I think. I haven't seen it for years, so I don't know how big it was for sure, but back then it seemed enormous. And it was filled with comic books, hundreds of them. Every so often I'd beg to look inside, and when she opened its lid, there would be all this rainbow of colors, all of them making up the drawings of heroes, monsters, villains, and space aliens. It was wonderful, and my first introduction to comic books. At first, Gail would show me the comics page by page, but way sooner than she should have, she let me read them all by myself. I wouldn't have let a six- or seven-year-old read my comics, especially these, because they were Batman and Superman comics from the 50s and early 60s, the Silver Age, for gosh sakes. But contrary to my nature, I was very careful with these comics, gentle as I turned the pages and putting them back as soon as I was done. I know I made disparaging remarks about the 50s comics earlier, but for me as a kid they were perfect. I love future Batman traveling back to help himself in the present, and all the space aliens and monsters from other dimensions. I like the colors of kryptonite too, and how they had a different effects on Superman. I think red kryptonite turned Superman's head into a giant ant. Among all this great stuff was a character called Batmite, a magical imp it seemed, who idealized the Cape Crusader so much that he wore his own Batman costume. But he was actually a being from the fifth dimension, whose technology was too advanced for us third-dimensional people to understand. Batmite, at his core, was a well-meaning nuisance. He always tried to help, but ended up complicating things for Batman, 
and then after pissing the Cape Crusader off, he would disappear back into his own dimension. The character first appeared in Detective Comics number 267, back in May of 1959, Batman Meets Batmite. He was created by Bill Finger, the co-creator of Batman himself, as well as the Joker, Clayface, Batgirl, the Riddler, and the Green Lantern, and co-created by the artist Sheldon Moldoff, who, among other things, had drawn a lot of Hawkman and co-created Poison Ivy, Mr. Freeze, and along with Bill, Clayface, Batwoman, and Batgirl. Together, they brought Batmite into this world. I always felt bad for Batmite. He was Batman's biggest fan and was so inspired by him that he wanted to join the team, or if not that, to promote Batman so everyone knew how great he was. And even though Batman mainly showed him irritation and contempt, Batmite, never to my knowledge, used his power to strike back at Batman. He just tried to find ways to please him or to promote him in some way. But Batmite's love was dangerous. He was like a Greek god, always testing Batman to make him better. He creates super criminals, for instance, or other dangers to challenge Batman. Sometimes he was tricked by criminals. One time Batmite was convinced to help these robbers because he thought he was making a movie of Batman's heroics. Eventually, Batmite got tired of Batman's rebuffs and started promoting Batwoman, who he had a crush on. When that didn't work, he created his own hero, who wore a Batmite face on his chest. But eventually, he'd always go back to his first hero, Batman. Batmite appeared regularly in Batman, Detective Comics, and World's Finest for five years. He was even in the Batman family portrait. But in 1964, under the Julius Schwartz revamp, he was virtually swept away. Batmite only appeared a few times in the next 20 years or so. One of these times, he joined forces with Mr. Mixie Ziplick, Superman's fifth-dimensional enemy. It was in World's Finest number 152 in 1965, and then seemingly silence. But fifth-dimensional beings are hard to keep down. In 1977, Filmation put out 16 episodes of The New Adventures of Batman on CBS. And by the way, it was at the same time that the Super Friends were put on by Hanna-Barbera on ABC. Batmite appeared in The New Adventures, and he was voiced by Lou Schemer. He was one of the uh, founders of Filmation, and he was also the voice of Tarzan's monkey. In this Batmite incarnation, the imp was from a planet called Ergo, and was uh, had a bad crush on Batgirl this time. His constant whiny phrase was, All I want to do is help. Then in 1979, there was another blip. Detective Comics number 482 starred the Batman family and had five new stories, one of which featured Batmite. Batmite's New York Adventure. It was done in response to actual fans writing in and wanting a revival of the character. And what they got was a six-page uh, one-off. In the story, one late night at the DC New York offices, Artist editor Al Milgram hears a tapping and clacking right behind him. When he turns, he sees no one. But in the typewriter, there's a sheet of paper, and on it typed, he sees We Want Batmite. Then outside, fireworks explode in the form of We Want Batmite, and a crowd chants the same message. As if on cue, Batmite appears. It seems a guy has come to the real world to demand his own feature in Batman Family. After persecuting the staff for a while, he gets them to agree to it. And so he leaves, but not before warning them that if they don't do what they promised, he'll be back with Mr. Mixiblick. 
By this point, I think you can see that the character of Batmite is probably not well-loved by current Batman fans. He's pure comic relief and old-fashioned, and he doesn't fit into the modern stories of Serious Dark Knight. But still, he's persistent. After the Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie, a new comic book was launched, Legends of the Dark Knight, and in 1992, in number 38 of that comic, Batmite Returns. The adventure was called Legends of the Dark Might. True, this Batmite was possibly only a delusion of a drug addict called Overdog, but hey, it counts. In that same year, Batman the Animated Series was born. In 1994, on the Deep Freeze episode, Batmite appears briefly, but as a puppet, which was voiced by Pat Fraley. Greetings, dynamic duo. I'm your biggest fan. What is it? Just wanna help! Just wanna help! Poor little critter. I never could get his programming right. Cute toy, Carl. You know I'm out of the robot business, Batman. Another Batmite sighting came in 1995 with a one-off issue, Mightfall. It was a parody of Nightfall and included Overdog again. There was a few other comics with Batmite in the next years. The 1999's number six World Finest miniseries, for instance. He also appeared in the 2000 one-shot Elseworld comic special, World's Funniest. In that one, the Mite pretty much destroys all the universes. He also was in the Batman number 672 and 678, where he's treated again as a possible delusion. Batmite returned to TV in the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon series in 2008. He was in four or five episodes, and he was voiced this time by Paul Rubens. <laughs> Work like a charm. Let's load up and blow. And suddenly, dramatically framed in the doorway, is the Dark Knight himself! I don't need a play-by-play. -play. Uh, I didn't say anything. Drop the money and give yourselves up. Uh, okay, Batman. We know when we're licked. Oh, no, no! You're making it too easy! Grab those bags! Rush him! Look, it ain't me doing this! I think I believe you. Oh, sorry. Don't apologize! Hit him again! He's Batman! He can take it! We give up! Oh, man! You guys aren't even trying! I need to raise the stakes! Sweet! Now try the same trick on these guys! Better move it! Those swords are sharp! Ooh, that's a defensive attack. No heads go flying, but it stings in the morning! Enough! Show yourself! All you had to do is ask, Batman! After all, I'm your number one fan. My fan? The biggest. And they call you... My real name's unpronounceable to humans, but you can call me Batmite! Okay. Well then.
That was really cool, the way you took care of those ninjas. I bet you could take on three times as many. You're not from around here, are you? I'm from the fifth dimension. Beings from my realm have powers that you 3Ds take for magical. A friend of mine in Metropolis told me about menaces like you. I'm not a menace. You're my hero. Green Arrow's gonna love this. Green Arrow? P.U. Flash, Plastic Man, please. They're not fit to buff your batarang. I got tired of watching those losers take up valuable screen time. So I'm here to help you take your rightful place as the greatest hero of all time! Go home, kid. I think we'll start with your costume. What's wrong with my costume? It's all wrong. Imposing, but to Dracula. Too dashing. Too campy. Too icky. Too confusing. Too psycho. Stop. I don't fight crime because I want praise as a hero. I do it because there are criminals out there too dangerous for regular police to handle. Now you're talking. I'll put you in a fight to the finish with the most powerful villain ever, and the world will see how great you are at taking him down. Here he is, Gorilla Grog! Ah, overexposed. I know. Solomon Grundy! No, Shaggy Man! Calendar Man. Calendar Man! Calendar Man? Now, if 30 days hath September... <clears throat> Batman? But how? I hadn't even begun my new holiday crime spree. I'll explain later. Take a dive. Uh... Oof? In Batmite Presents Batman Strangest Adventures, Batmite breaks the fourth wall and talks about real-world comics and makes fun of convention fans. There's nothing glamorous about fighting the Joker. Are you kidding? It's good versus evil. Order versus chaos. The unstoppable force versus the immovable object. No clash is more epic. Just look! Remember when the Joker made his own utility belt? The Laughing Fish! They don't get much better than that! The Death in the Family Saga! And that one, the fans got to choose what happened to Jason Todd! Guess how I voted. And then, of course, there was another Batmite, the Lego Batmite, and he was also voiced by Paul Rubens. After all that, Batmite still wasn't through, though. Back in June of 2015, a six-issue series of Batmite was begun. So will Batmite continue harassing Batman into the future? I think so, but only in small doses. There are plenty of people who still hate him, after all. But I have a soft spot for the guy. He was part of my introduction to comic books. My sister sold most of the issues now, in that old trunk, keeping only her favorites, and those weren't the Batmite ones. But I have my memories of my old friend from the fifth dimension, and of course, the new comics. 
While Gotham City sleeps, Batman's grandmother is being kidnapped by the arch-criminal known as... The Green Beret. Commissioner Gordon dials the secret number of the Batcave. Holy smoke, Batman! They got your grandmother! <laughs> Quick, Robin, to the Batmobile. Great Scott, Batman! Something's heading right for us! Here it comes! Here it comes! Here it comes your I've wrecked the Batmobile! Come here, baby. Scratch my back. No time for that now, Robin. Look, Batman! It's the Green Beret and Grandmother! <laughs> I'll save her, Robin. Gee whiz, Batman! What happened? Bang, bang! He shut me down! Is this the end of Batman? Stay tuned to this record. So far, Batman's grandmother has been kidnapped. Batman has been shot. Robin has had his 19th nervous breakdown. But the best is yet to come. Batman, Batman, speak to me. Baby, I can't make it without you. Jumping Jupiter, Batman, grandmother is kissing the green beret. Batman, Batman, where are you going? To the bat room, Robin. <laughs> well, how was it, Batman? It was exciting, exciting. Holy mackerel, Batman. The Green Beret has fallen through that trap door into his own alligator pit. He's a real nowhere man. Once again, Batman and Robin have foiled another arch criminal. Back at the Bat Cave. Wowee, Batman, look at this telegram. Grandmother has been drafted. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Ed's No Frill Airlines. Remember, Ed's will fly you coast to coast for just $14.95. How can we keep our prices so low? Easy. We overbook all our flights by 800%. Sure, we bump more passengers than any other seven airlines combined. But if at the last minute we can't take you where you want to go, we'll send your luggage there absolutely free. Mm. enough if the madness stopped here, but it doesn't.
this alley with that face? A good question, Batman. One that surely deserves an answer. Good. I'd hate to have had to beat one out of you. Oh, there is no need. The answer is simple. It's your birthday. And according to the custom of your people, I have a present for you. Oh. No. Not here. Cat! No! Before your dictaphone, will you? Sure. Thanks. Uh, Commissioner, have you anything more to say about that explosion in Crime Alley at the weekend? If a car backfiring can make the front page three days late, God help your newspaper, son. Well, is there any truth in the rumor that the Batman's gone missing? Go chase ambulances, kid. Morning, Harvey. Hey, Commissioner. Not now, Harvey. Bad. Hold my calls. I don't want to be disturbed. I spilled coffee in that dictaphone. There's coffee in this dictaphone. I know, sir. Have mine, sir. Thanks. what we've got here. Jim, this is the Batman. This tape cassette is to be forwarded to you in the event of my death. Treat what you are about to hear in the strictest confidence. My associates must be protected at all costs. By night in Gotham City, you knew me as the Batman. What you never knew was that by day I was Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. For the sake of our... Holy Moses. I said do not disturb, Harvey. Uh, sorry. Yes, I did. Well, it seems like they'd like to know what was on it, sir. Nobody there seems to know who exactly authorized the bailing of it. <laughs> Tell them it's blank, Harvey, and, and get me a car out of the pool. I'll be at Wayne Manor if you need me. Yes, sir. Uh, you still don't want to institute a search for the Batman. Just do what you're told, Harvey. Ashes to ashes. Father. Dust to dust. Father, I swear. I swear I'll find him. Them. In the sure and certain hope. All of them. Of the life to come. Good morning. Ah, Commissioner Gordon, what a pleasant surprise. Alfred, may I come in? But of course. Thank you. Uh, may I take your coat, sir? Um, no, thanks. Look, I think we need to talk, don't you? We do? About our mutual friend. Uh, your, uh, employer, I only heard this morning. I don't know what to say. Master Bruce rang you this morning. No, no, the cassette. 
in the event of his... My God, you don't know? Obviously, I don't, Commissioner. Perhaps you should enlighten me. Alfred, the Batman. Remarkable fellow. Of course, I'm not sure that I approve of costumed individuals. He's dead. My goodness. Alfred, I need to know when you last saw him. I mean, as Bruce Wayne. As Bruce Wayne? I don't, don't understand. Alfred, you're shaking. There's a very chill draft in this hallway, sir. Why don't I show you to the drawing room? You can speak to Master Bruce in comfort. Hmm? Alfred? Commissioner Gordon to see you, sir. Jim! Bruce? Just in time for a snack. How about eggs Benedict, Alfred? Very good, sir. I can catch them, Mom! I'm as fast as a rabbit! Look at that boy run. Martha, we've got an athlete on our hands. Bruce, what are you going to do when you catch Now, them? don't go near that hole. We should get that cave filled in, Thomas. Whoop! I'm only six when I first see the cave. Father. Huge. Empty. Father. No, not empty. Waiting. Something shuffles out of sight. Something sucks the stale air and hisses. Mother? Bruce, my love, lie still. Oh. Drink this. You need rest. Sleep. You are safe with me. No, no. Jim, got to contact. Jim, by night in Gotham City, you knew me as the Batman. What you never knew was that by day I was Bruce Wayne. For the sake of our friendship, I'm sorry I never told you the truth. But I couldn't take chances, and neither can you. The news of my death could blow the lid off this town. Yes, honey? Have you seen tonight's paper? It's in the kitchen. And the science and charity work of the Wayne Foundation will never see the light of day. Somebody's trying to kill me, Jim. And this time, it's somebody who seems to know me better than I know myself. I didn't mean where is the paper, Dad. I meant, have you seen it? Uh, careful, Barbara. That's scraping the door. You didn't tell me that Batman hasn't been seen in Gotham City for a week. I didn't realize I had to report in. Dad, there is something, isn't there? Uh, they told me being police commissioner in Gotham City would drive me insane. I guess it's time you put me away in Arkham Asylum. Oh, don't even joke about that place. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Barbara. But I'm either crazy or today I saw a ghost. Now, perhaps you should listen to this. Have you finished with the port, Master Bruce? Yes. Thank you, Alfred. You'll be going out tonight. I'll lay out your costume. There's no need. I'm going to bed. Oh, dear, I haven't made the fire up in your room. It's not necessary. I'll see to it first thing in the morning. No. In the morning, I'll need your help. In the bat cave. Oh, spring cleaning already. A new start, Alfred. A new start. Good night, Alfred. Good night, Master Bruce. Hello. This is Wayne Manor. I require a person-to-person -person call to a Mr. Dick Grayson, New York City. Here's the number. Somebody who seems to know me better than I know myself. But who? Why? 
All the evidence suggests someone known to me. One of the few people who's entered the Batcave. Who knows where to meet me today. On my anniversary. His anniversary? What anniversary, Dad? I don't know, Barbara. I hope it's not going to become the anniversary of his death. But you said you saw Bruce Wayne today. This must all be a huge mistake. I don't know. <clears throat> you think he is, was, the Batman? I think something has happened to the Batman, but I don't understand how Bruce Wayne ties in. If the Batman had the foresight to record that message, he's probably put an elaborate plan into action to cover up the fact of his death. And Bruce Wayne and I may be just pawns on the chessboard. Did you tell Bruce anything at all about this? I didn't get a chance. He was too busy explaining his plans for the Wayne Foundation. As I haven't a degree in world economics, his views on acid liquidation were way over Bruce my Bruce is liquidating the Wayne Foundation? Well, you, you didn't think an airheaded playboy would stick to charity work forever, did you? I'm a little surprised, yes. Barbara, the most important thing is to find out what's happened to the Batman. Find out what this anniversary is, where he went, and who he met there. I can help. Now, you just take it easy. You're just... In a wheelchair. Now, that doesn't mean a thing. Okay. Okay. But I've got to put in some street time. Pick up the Batman's trail before it goes cold. Sure, but why don't you write me an access permit to the police department computer room? Hmm? Well, maybe there's a clue in the records to that Batcave reference. Well, if there is something buried in those archives, you'll find it. I could try to tap into his computer. He may still have my voice print on file, unless he trashed it when the Joker put me in this chair. Now, Batman may seem a cold-hearted son of a gun, but I don't believe he'd ever erase Batgirl from his files. Yeah, I wonder. He's tried hard enough to forget Jason. Chasing? Who was he chasing? Are you still here? It's way past your bedtime. ...of a dramatic climb in violent crime statistics of this disturbing news. Early this morning, we spoke to Police Commissioner James W. Gordon about rumors that the Batman may even be dead. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest that the Batman is incapacitated in any way. He may well have commitments outside the city we know nothing of. In any case, citizens can rest assured we have a first-class police department who will put the fear of God into any criminal... The fear of God. I am young. I have wealth. The family manor rests above a huge cave that will be the perfect headquarters. All these things you gave me, Father. All the means. Now I must find the method. How, Father? How do I do it? What do I use to make them afraid? Without warning, it comes. Crashing through the window of the study. Having lost its way back to the cave. It sucks the stale air and hisses. I have seen it before somewhere. It frightened me as a boy, and with the fear, the knowledge. Yes, Father. Now I know what I must become. Oh. oh. I'm sorry. Did the TV wake you? Oh. Talia? My love, you must drink. You've got to help me. <gasps> help me get... Get home. Dearest, you are home. Wherever I am, that shall be your home. No. No. Things are different now. Your father... My father? He has taken care of everything. Now, rest. No. 
There's nothing to do but rest. Read that back to me, Alfred. Um, well, you've arranged for disposal of everything from the trophy room except for the mechanical dinosaur and the giant Lincoln's head penny. Scrap them. What about the garage? Well, as you seem to already have disposed of the current Batmobile. Current Batmobile. The other five are still under their dust sheets, of course. The old red roadster of your father's is a lovely period piece, I must say. Arranged to have everything auctioned anonymously. What about the spare costumes? Burn them. Even the early designs for old times' sake? Burn them. And do I need to ask you about the computer, Master Bruce? Or shall I take an axe to it immediately? The computer. Have the computer prepared for shipment at once. Shipment? May I ask where? If it falls into the wrong hands, heaven knows what damage might be done. See to it, Alfred. And make sure you buy the strongest possible poison to exterminate these bats. I want this place to be empty. Damn it, Selena. Isn't there anywhere you can sit in this place without squashing a cat? If there isn't, then stand. I'll do that. You are so frightened and nasty men come to arrest the mummy. Relax, pussycat. I'm just here to talk to your, uh... Mistress? <sighs> Selena, I need your specialized knowledge. Sure. What can I tell you? Furballs, scratching clothes, ear ticks, shedding. I'm an expert. Very funny. When did you last see the Batman? What's his problem? Tapeworm? Oh, be serious. Why should I want to see him? He always treats me like I'm a troublemaker. Well, you are a troublemaker. You're the Catwoman. Besides, there's more to your relationship with him than just prisoner and escort. Hey, back up a little. Come on, Selena. I know there's always been a little something going on between you two. You know zip. Jeez, Gordon, when I started business in Gotham City, you didn't even know whose side the Batman was on. Hell, you even thought he was committing my cat burglary. Sure, and in my position, you'd have done better, right? The only evidence I had was hearsay and superstition. Yeah, that's the kind of evidence the Batman tries to make a case out of. At first, he was only a shadow whispered name, a grim symbol at the bottom of the hastily scrolled note we'd find trussed up on a wanted criminal. But slowly the shadow gained substance. Catwoman, the Joker, Penguin, Two-Face, Hugo Strange, Riddler. Criminals who had constantly eluded my best men were tracked down by this creature and dumped all but gift-wrapped on my doorstep. He became an obsession to me, and when we first came face to face, I froze that moment was all he needed to make his escape. Wait! Come back! Hold your fire, Bullock. You're only wasting ammunition. Wow! Did you see the way he looked? In God's name, what kind of a thing are we dealing with? A giant bat? Well, don't shoot it till we find out, okay? Then came the night we finally met face to face as I sat working late by my office window. Good evening, Commissioner. That's the major difference between us, Commissioner. I don't have to worry about the paperwork. Excuse me for dropping in uninvited. I thought it was about time we had a little talk. Mister, I have only one thing I want to say to you. You're under arrest, Commissioner. We're of a kind, you and I. Both dedicated to ridding this city of the two-legged parasites who prey upon the innocent. The only difference between us is that my hands aren't bound by red tape. Red tape or otherwise, mister, I'm talking about the law. And I'm talking about justice. You think Gotham's criminals give a damn for the law? 
Half the judges in this town are in the pockets of the lawbreakers. I love the law as much as you do, Commissioner. But if I have to bend it to see that justice is done, so be it. We're on the same side, my friend. And if you don't believe me, pull that trigger. Damn. I may be making a mistake doing this, but in my business, you learn to trust your intuition. I may not be able to provide you with much public support, but if there's anything else you need, just... Huh? He's vanished again. In all the years I've been the Catwoman, he's been the same. Always vanishing. I mean, what are you worried about? Hmm? Listen, Gordon, I don't know anything. If you want to play Cherche La Femme, talk to one of those bimbos that chase him every which way. That dumb reporter, uh, Vicky Vale, Maxine Kelly. Oh, and who's the one with the bazookas? Oh... Silver St. Cloud. Nah, they haven't seen him. Okay. There's a daughter of that Asian weirdo, Raz al Ghul. Who? The guy who's got some kind of fountain of youth. Uh, Talia. Uh, That's her name. Rumor has it that her father tried to do a little matchmaking between her and the Batman. Yeah, rumor has it that the Batman can fly, Selena. Well, so much for rumors. Okay, okay. People make up stories. But I've seen Talia and Batman together. Maybe they've eloped or something. The Batman's married to his work. That's what you women always forget. Are you starting with that crud again? Oh, come on. Admit it, Catwoman. You'd like to get your claws into him, right? Don't you group me with that pack of sob sisters, Gordon. Now get the hell out of here before I get my claws into you. I'm going. I'm going. This is Bruce Wayne. Computer on. Batman voice identification. Positive. Computer on. Excuse me, sir. Not now, Alfred. I'm sorry, sir. This can't wait. Damn you, Alfred. Do as I say. Master Bruce. The last time you spoke to me like that, you were six years old. Your father gave me permission to tan your backside. My father is dead, Alfred. You really don't seem to be yourself at the moment. Perhaps you should go out on patrol. Knocking criminals' heads together always seems to relax you. Besides, your absence from the rooftops is beginning to worry the popular press. That's all over now. I'm sorry? It's finished. No more playing detective. The Batman has ceased to exist. Bruce? Am I hearing right? Who's there? Master Rob... <laughs> Richard. I'm sorry, I left you waiting. Uh, Dick, is that you? What's the matter? Don't you recognize me? Voice identification positive. Dick Grayson, alias Nightwing, operating out of New York City. Formerly Robin the Boy Wonder. And Ward Computer off. Bruce. Computer off. Robin the Boy Wonder. <laughs> it's been a while. How have you been, Dick? Good. Good, I've been good. Uh, keeping pretty busy, too. So, what's going on here, Bruce? The caped crusader hanging up the old utility belt? Times have changed in Gotham City. Yeah, they'll change a lot faster once the word gets on the street that the Batman's retired. That's for sure. My mind's made up. I, uh, I have other plans. You know, Bruce, we've had our disagreements over the years, but... I... Well, gee, I never imagined I'd hear you talk like this. The past is immaterial, and this is none of your business. Now, look... I may have felt the need to step out of your shadow to prove myself on my own territory, but I, I can't just stand and watch you pull something like this. Damn it, Bruce. You're the biggest single influence on my life. You were there when I had no one, when I lost everything that mattered to me. Well, don't say that doesn't mean anything anymore. Don't say you don't remember. No. That night at Haley's Circus. Haley's Circus. Oh, yes, the fabulous Flying Graysons featuring Dick. Grayson, boy wonder, the Robin Hood of the Hydra Peas. Oh, such happy days. They were happy, Alfred. 
Till Mr. Haley refused to join Boss Zuko's protection racket. Till the night Zuko arranged to teach Mr. Haley a lesson with my parents' lives. The night I met you, Bruce. A night long gone. You made me what I am, Bruce. You gave me a home. You and Alfred brought me up. You can't deny everything you've stood for and expect me just to stand and watch it happen. If that's the way you feel about it, move back to Gotham City. Let Nightwing carry on where the Batman left off. Oh, no. Oh, no. That really would be the final humiliation. Damn it, I might be the product of our relationship, but I'm not your clone, Bruce. You take this step, you take the consequences. I have business to attend to. Alfred, we'll see you out. Bruce, wait. I'm, I'm sorry, Alfred, I tried. I thought you were exaggerating his behavior. Now I only wish you had. I really thought he was over this strange phase. I just don't know what has got into him. Well, Jason's left him a hell of a legacy. First he throws himself into his work with a suicidal intensity, and now he's, he's planning to quit. Um, Master Dick, nobody knows that anything has happened to Robin. You know, I often think back to the sight of you both leaving to go on patrol. No, never again. He always seemed happier with you. Things are different now. I can't make this a fairy tale with a happy ending. Even if I came back, would that wipe away the pain of what happened to Jason? I can't change what's happened. And now that I've got my independence, I'm not sure I want to. Gee, I wish I understood computers the way you do, Miss Gordon. You could come down here and learn something when you're off duty, Harvey. Gotham City Police don't use this equipment half as much as they could. Uh, can I get you another coffee? I I'm sorry about the one I spilled. Oh, look, don't worry. It'll wash out. Now, would you mind locking me in? I have this thing about sudden callers. I'll buzz you if I need help. Uh, yes, sure. See you later. But right now, I don't want anyone to see what I'm trying to do with your fancy computer. Because either this will blow every circuit in the building, or it will tap me direct into the... Batcave computer. Enter voice identification. Bingo. Bingo does not compute. This is Barbara Gordon. Voice identification positive. Barbara Gordon, daughter of Police Commissioner James W. Gordon, trained librarian whose career as costumed law enforcer Batgirl curtailed when spine severed by bullet fired by Joker. Born... Okay, okay, hold it. Damn thing's got everything but my shoe size. Five. <laughs> Gotta hand it to you, Bruce. You're thorough. Now let's start with your alter ego. Give me the current whereabouts of the Batman. Bruce Wayne, currently scheduled at the Wayne Foundation Building, Gotham City, to hold press conference on liquidation of Wayne Holdings worldwide and relocation of certain of its facilities to the far what? east. Bruce Wayne, currently scheduled... Never mind, never mind. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Batman wouldn't leave his alias unprotected, not even on his own computer, unless... Where is the Batman? Repeat... The Batman. That file now closed. Request Batman file open for scrutiny. Unable to comply. Secondary approved voice identification required before closed files can be accessed. Damn it. Oh, ah, no, wait a minute. Oh, I know what's in here somewhere. Yup. Secondary voice identification coming up. Standing by. Try this. Jim, this is the Batman. This tape cassette is to be forwarded to you in the event of my death. Voice identification. Treat what you were about positive. to hear. Good. 
Voice identified as known criminal, not authorized to enable access to closed file. What? Please provide alternative identification or terminate inquiry. Oh, hold it, hold it. I need to think. Um, ah, right. Wait a second. Batman file now accessed. Where do you wish to start? What the heck? At the beginning. The Batman, alias Bruce Wayne, son of Dr. Thomas Wayne and his wife Martha. Upbringing was by family butler Alfred Pennyworth and various European private schools after his parents were murdered. Another drink. Commissioner, only the best here at Arkham Asylum. Do you like the music? I'm so lucky they allowed me a phonograph. Recognize the piece? It's Die Fledermaus. Oh, maybe you're not fluent in German. A cold, logical language. Die Fledermaus, the bat. The bat man. A cold, logical psycho. No, that's not fair. Some of my best friends are psychotics. They may dress oddly, but they don't get themselves lost in broad daylight. That is why you came, isn't it? To find out if I've heard anything. Well, I'm sorry. I can't oblige. Oh, how's your daughter, by the way? Now there's a sassy little chassis. Too bad about the undercart, though. <laughs> no more Batgirl. No more Robin. And now, the Batman. Mm, poor Commissioner Gordon. Oscar Wilde would tell you that to lose one superhero is unfortunate. To lose three looks like carelessness. But the real trick is Jimbo. Not me. That wouldn't just be unfortunate. It wouldn't just be careless. It would be deadly. <laughs> All right, I've heard enough. Open the door. Computer continue. Batman file, subsection B. Those privy to or who have learned secret identity of Batman. Longhorn Bell, Killer Moth, Harry Larson. Barney Barrows, Frank Davis, The Batman, Duds Stop, Neary. stop. The Batman, that's the second time. Oh. Oh. Wait a minute. Computer, stand by for voice identification. Standing by. Jim, this is The Batman. Voice identified you as about to hear known criminal, not authorized to enable access to file. I don't want authorization. I want identification. Identification coming up. Whoever you are. What are you doing up here? How can I heal you when you disobey me so? You know, my parents loved Gotham City. I wonder how they'd feel about it now. There's a cancer eating this town, and I've got to cut it out. You're still in pain. Now come back inside and rest. Just down there is a back street named Park Row. People stopped calling it that after my parents were murdered there. It became Crime Alley. Even now, I can still see their bodies lying at my feet. My seventh birthday. We 
had just been to the movies. And as I heard footsteps run off into the night, I vowed to bring justice down on all criminals, to become something hated and feared by them, a seemingly supernatural, superhuman thing, a shadowy creature protecting the innocent. You see, Talia, I don't just work in this city. It's part of me, what I have become. Where could I go with you to deny myself, to deny those I've promised to avenge? Don't you understand? My father is freeing you from all that. Out of his love for me and his regard for you, he has once more emerged from the Lazarus pit. Yes, and this time with my face. He always knew too much about me, but then it was my fault. I never expected anyone to discover my secret, to find their way into the Batcave unbidden. Welcome home, Bruce Wayne. Or shall I address you as the Batman? Who are you? How'd you get in here? You shall learn who I am. As to finding your inner sanctum, it was a matter of some deduction and quite a degree of research. I reasoned that the Batman had to be wealthy and that he needed certain kinds of equipment. And you found that Bruce Wayne alone bought what the Batman had to have? It was a laborious search, but my methods are painstaking. Even so, that's a hole I'll have to plug. Now, what do you want? I need your help. My child has been abducted. It was the start of a search which took me to the remotest part of the Himalayas, which led me to you, Talia, and the discovery of your father's secret. The Lazarus Pit, where he resurrects himself. A phenomenon matched only by his overwhelming greed for power. Greed? He has sacrificed much to give you your freedom. The Pit is losing its power. It will not further rejuvenate him more than a handful of times. My love, he has done this so that we may at last be together. You need no longer hide your humanity under Batman's cowl. Conceal your strength behind Bruce Wayne's reputation. He has relieved you of those burdens. Now, drink this. It will soothe you. Now, another cup of your medicine. And I have a feeling I'll be waking up in Nanda Parbat. You were happy there with me. Happiness isn't what I seek. Gotham City is where I belong, where I'm needed. Maybe Jason was the only one who really understood that. Jason? The other boy who worked with you? The second Robin? He knew Gotham City the way I do. He was a petty thief. He used to hang around here, stealing the wheels off cars. On the day I met him, he was trying to boost the tires off mine. He'd been orphaned, like me. But whereas my parents' money shielded me from starvation, he had to live by his wits. I knew if I left him here, I'd find myself running him in later on for something more serious. So I took him back with me, gave him a home, trained him the way I'd trained Dick Grayson. Seemed logical. Nobody had guessed the original Batman-Robin team had split up. Once Dick left to go to college, we drifted apart. Then Jason came along. He was young, fit, eager to learn, an apt student. For a while, it was as if I'd never been without a Robin. But there were undercurrents. He had a dangerous amount of aggression to work off. He became moody, resentful, reckless. I began to realize I'd made a mistake. 
I've noticed some disquieting things about Master Jason myself. The lad never mentions his parents, yet I've come across him crying over his old photographs. Being your partner is hardly the best situation for a teenager still adjusting to such a loss. Then I must try and rectify the situation. Jason's going off active duty immediately. And I don't have a word to say about it, huh? How long have you been hiding there, Jason? You can't be serious about this. I am. You've got a lot of anger and pain inside of you. I can handle it. We can work this out. You want to talk? Talk to Alfred. The poor child. And both parents long dead. Mm. So I thought. But then Jason discovered that his late father had remarried. His real mother was still alive. He used the computer to track her down and set off after her, alone. He never thought she might be involved with the Joker. Never guessed it might be a trap. By the time I got to him, I'd lost him. He was beaten half to death and then blown up trying to save his mother's life. You mustn't blame yourself. He'd still be alive today if I'd left him where I'd found him in Crime Alley. How can you say that? You saved his life, my love. You delivered him. I delivered him right into the hands of the Joker. I've got to pay for that. You have paid. The time for looking back is... Oh. Oh. Sorry, Talia. I'm so sorry. The drug is perfectly harmless. You'll sleep for a day or so. But I have to stop your father. I just hope when you wake up, you'll understand. Master Bruce! Master Bruce! I've just heard! Alfred, I've been looking for you. I can't believe you changed your mind. For a while there, I honestly thought you were going through with this ridiculous business. What are you talking about, old man? The news, of course. They just reported it on the television. And there I was, about to burn the costume. <laughs> what report? You were seen on a rooftop near Park Row. And I thought you were at the Wayne Foundation. I was at the... So this might explain the computer, unless... Unless it was you. The computer? Have you touched this computer? Oh, I gave it a flick with the duster this morning, but... Uh... Have you touched this computer? No, you know, you know I can't even do the household accounts on a pocket calculator. No, it is him. It must be. Master Bruce, I'm sorely tempted to tender my resignation. Hmm? Oh. <clears throat> oh, no, I need your help. You surprise me. Somebody has accessed this computer. And now this sighting today of the Batman while I was at the Wayne Foundation. Are you suggesting an imposter is at large? Yes. Yes, an imposter. Then the problem is solved. The city law forbidding anyone to impersonate the Batman will soon have them behind bars. Of course, that doesn't explain the other little question. What question? Who drove the Batmobile back here to the cave? What? It wasn't here this morning. I did. Good heavens. Good evening. I am Bruce Wayne. Who are you? I am the Batman. And Bruce Wayne. But ba ba Batman, I mean, Master Bruce. Alfred, don't stare at him when you're talking to me. But there are two of you. This is taking schizophrenia rather literally, don't you think? You're right, Alfred. Let's stop this play acting. I'm not prepared to leave Gotham City under any circumstances. Not even for Talia. Talia? 
I remember that name. The play acting is entirely your affair. Now, wait. Both of you, keep perfectly still. There's a simple solution to this. Um, computer on. Excellent idea, Alfred. Computer on. Please provide voice identification. This is Bruce Wayne. Voice identification positive. Bruce Wayne. You see, Alfred? Not entirely, sir. If you are Bruce Wayne, who is this? Computer, this is the Batman. Voice identification positive. Voice belongs to known criminal, the Batman. Criminal? What does that mean? It means he is the fake. It means the files have been switched, Alfred. And I can prove it. Computer, this is Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul, of course. Voice identification negative. Ra's al Ghul is now Bruce Wayne. Please provide alternative identification. You're tempered with this machine? Computer, listen to me. Voice identification positive. You are Bruce Wayne. You see? Alias Ross Al Ghul, the demon's head. No. You are former head of the League of Assassins. No. I no. I am Bruce Wayne. He has a gun. Don't pull the trigger, Ross. Yeah. Quick, Alfred. With the double kidnapping of this is most unfortunate. He must have found that up in the trophy room. It shoots backwards, you know. He didn't recognize the very booby trap he once used against me. It's a clean wound. Yes, Barbara? Batman? How did you know it would be me? Who else could have hacked into the Batcave computer? Did you monitor that little exchange back there? I sure did. It is so good to hear your voice. But Batman, listen. Dad's out looking for you. I just got word he's headed for Crime Alley. Alone. At this time of night? Batman, please. I'll be there. Out. Detective, I must be returned to the Lazarus Pit. Perhaps it can still... Revive me. The Lazarus Pit. It's where he renews himself. A kind of chemical bath. Lethal for you and me. Rejuvenating for him. What did he want here? The pit is failing. Only this computer can analyze its chemical composition, which sustains me. You refused to join me, so I had to take what you would not offer. And Talia thought he was playing Cupid. Now, you've got to get him on the next flight out to Nanda Parvat, Alfred. I'll alert his people at that end to prepare the Lazarus pit. Stop off at this address on the way and pick up his daughter. She'll be mad as hell, but too sedated to give you trouble. Very well, Master Bruce. I just can't understand how I was taken Save in. Save it. I've got to change into a fresh costume and get after Jim Gordon. Oh, dear. Your costume. What have you done? Burned it? No. Washed it. I'm afraid you'll just have to wear it wet. Yeah, boy, kid. Harvey, it's the commissioner. Uh, are you still at Arkham Asylum, sir? I could have your calls transferred. No, I'm in the city now, at Crime Alley. That's not a good place to be right now, commissioner. No, it's close to where somebody thought they saw the Batman today. It's where that big explosion happened the other night, and it's the only place people say the Batman patrols on a regular basis. I sure hope you're armed, commissioner. Things are hot tonight. You just get a unit out to this area fast as you can, right? Right. Right, out. Hey, old man. Boy, man. Out of my way, son. <laughs> out of my way. Big man. You two want to ride down to police headquarters? <laughs> oh, we got us a car. Look, man, this is no cop. This is Commissioner Goron, oh. dummy. Oh, the big man. Oh, not so big without the Batman. What do you know about the Batman? 
Hey, we saw it, man. We saw him. He got wasted. <laughs> Ooh. Batman. Poor <laughs> Batman. The Batman's dead, man. <laughs> and so are you. Oh. Hey, leave oh. some for me, oh. man. Oh. 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 Slice commissioner. Slice him, man. Slice him up. So then you want to say before we cut your turkey? Behind you. The back. I say reports of my death were very exaggerated. I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. Hey, man. Ah, run, you creep. This ain't the bad man. I saw him die. You want a signed photograph? Freeze, pointy ears, or this will take your head off. You dare pull a gun on me here? How are you going to walk away from this, Batman? There are seven working defenses from this position. Oh, come on, man. Three of them disarm with minimal contact. Oh, minimal contact. Three of them kill. <laughs> oh, mama, I'm really scared, man. I'm scared, you know. But this one hurts. <laughs> No, man! No, wait, wait, man! No, don't do it, man! You think I'm dead now? Pablo! No, man, please don't! You wanna try a little one on one with me? No, man, please! You're not old enough to carry firearms! Wasting tires is more your level. You can stop hitting him now, Batman. Oh, don't hurt me, Batman, please! Don't hurt me! My God, it could be Jason. Jim, you okay? Uh, in better shape than he is. Give or take a rib. What are you planning to do with him? You better go, kid. Huh? Get out of here. And don't ever cross my path again. You got it, man. You got it. I'm gone, man. I'm gone. Hey, Batman, that cassette, I nearly gave up on you. My utility belt. Malfunction. Signaled the Batcave computer to initiate the procedure I'd arranged in the event of my death. Yeah, but what about uh, Bruce Wayne? The cassette said... The contingency plan worked. It said that you were Bruce Wayne. And his cassette said that you were the Batman. I knew you were covering your tracks. Believe me, Bruce Wayne had nothing to do with this. It's going to be a busy night. Are you okay? You never let anyone go like that before. I'm not about to make a habit of it. Let's say we owe you a favor. The punk and me both. Huh? Thanks, Jim. Batman, I, I don't understand. Hey, you, you never told me what that anniversary was all about. I wish for once you'd let me finish the conversation. Uh, commissioner. Commissioner Gordon. You found the Batman. You okay? Harvey, it's incredible. What? I, I think I just saw the Batman smile. Oh, boy. I got to get you to a doctor. Come on, Commissioner. Into the car. Hey. I don't know about you, Frank, but I think that was a great show. <laughs> if we do say it so ourselves, I guess. Yeah, what the hell? I'll say it's a good show. I really love that Batman uh, drama. That was wonderful. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm always a sucker for Vincent Price, so you know that that makes that makes the whole thing for me. All right, that's enough patting each other in the back. I guess it's time to go. But that, well, I'm Uncle Frank. This is Jimmy Sweets, and we're gonna leave. But before we do, February 26th is the wonderful Tony Randall's birthday, 
So we thought we'd play a performance by him and the great Jack Klugman. So enjoy and see you next month. Take care, guys. Greetings, opera lovers everywhere. Today we have a rare treat in store, for we are presenting the immortal classic Das Salzimmer Paar, which you may know as La Coppia de Versa, or somewhat vulgarly in English, The Odd Couple. We are especially fortunate in that two great operatic masters, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman, have kindly consented to perform this masterpiece for us today. You can imagine the excitement we all feel here. We are beside ourselves. Now, a hush of almost unbearable expectancy falls over the audience as maestro Roland Shaw makes his way to the podium. He graciously bows and raises his baton. great poignant work, Felix is just returning from a three-day weekend in the country. I've been away on a three-day weekend out in the country air. Though it's back to a tie and a shirt again, I feel so alive and alert again. I can even face Oscar's dirt again. Oscar's dirt. Meanwhile, Oscar has been having a three-day weekend of his own. I've been playing poker for three days straight And though my eyes are open, I don't feel that great But Felix will be home soon, and if that's the case I guess I'd better tidy up the place Empty all the ashtrays in the chip bowl, just like this. Then take the butts and chips and drop them in the dip bowl, just like this. I wonder if this curry is still okay. It's turned a very interesting shade of gray. I'll throw the chips and butts and dips in the curry. Better clean this place in a hurry. Felix will be home in a worry if the place ain't neat. just yet. The place ain't as neat as you'd want it to be, and I hate to see you upset. Nonsense, Oscar. How bad could it be? That depends on your sensitivity. I think I should see for myself, old sport. Oh! <coughs> Le fleur, so mort. You 
both killed them. Well, if that is what this place can do to flowers, for myself I hold out very little hope. Between the smoke and the trash, I broke out in a rash, and my nerves are at the end of their rope. Come on, Felix. Dirt won't hurt you. A little spill won't kill you. A speck of dust, a tiny stain. Why should it drive you so insane, Felix? Because, because, because I'm neat. Do you know what neat is, Oscar? I'm sure you're gonna tell me. Neat is picking clothes up off the floor. Neat is knowing what a mop is for. Neat is putting polish on your boot. Neat is never sleeping in your suit. Neat is once a week you comb the hair left on your head. Neat is never storing empty beer cans in your bed. Neat is what I've been since I was just a tiny tot. And Oscar, neat is everything that you are not. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry won't do. What do you want then? That's up to you. Could you learn to keep house like I do? Are you kidding? Then it looks like you and I are through. Are you kidding? When it comes to breaking up a friendship, I don't kid. Breaking up a friendship? That's exactly what you did. Since this is your apartment, there is nothing left to say. I'll go away. I'll go, you stay. You stay, I'll go. Oh, no, oh, no. I will not stay another day. Oh, no, you'll stay. I'll go away. I'll go, you stay. I'll go, you stay. I'll go, you stay. I'll go, you stay. Okay. Okay. What the hey? So Oscar packed his dirty things and left, and Felix cleaned up after him. A few days went by. I'm lonely, I'm clean, but I'm lonely. Golly, if only Oscar were here now. I miss him, why should I miss him? He was untidy, he was a slob. At the same time, Oscar sits in his dismal hotel room. Wild horses never could drag me back To live with that weird hypochondriac Yet there is an emptiness way down deep I miss that immaculate feet Maybe I'll pick up a phone and call him Maybe I'll pick up a phone and call him Oscar? Felix? Felix? Oscar. You've got a whole bunch of mail piling up here, so why don't you come pick it up? I'll pick it up. He'll pick it up. And when I do. And when he does. I'll give him the shock of his life. The next day, Oscar, dressed as neatly as an undertaker, comes to the apartment with a bouquet of flowers. The place is a mess and Felix is dressed like a slob.
Oscar? Felix? Is that you? Are you sure, Oscar, it's you? Are you sure, Felix, it's you? But you're not the you I once knew. Neither are you. Look, Felix, I brought you some flowers, fresh from the florist. They're artificial, so how could they mort? How can a flower survive in here? Why are you living this way? It smells like there's nothing alive in here. Even a pig wouldn't stay. Remember what you told me, Oscar? What did I told you? A little dirt won't hurt you. Yeah, but this. A little spill won't kill you. Yeah, but this. A speck of dust. Yeah, but. A tiny stain. Yeah, but. Why should it drive you so insane, Oscar? Because I'm neat. Do you know what neat is, Felix? Need is picking clothes up off the floor. What are you doing? Need is knowing what a mop is for. I can't believe my eyes. Need is putting polish on your boot. The shine is blinding. Need is never sleeping in your suit. Cleaned and pressed and perfect. Oscar, Oscar, why are you doing this? For you, Felix. For me, Oscar. That's nice. Welcome home, Oscar. It's good to be back. Things will be different. We'll both try harder. No disagreements. No misunderstandings. Cause we are friends.